here's my first five years is survive the th tornado, survive the snake bite, survive the car getting shot through with uh, anti-aircraft ammunition, um, survive buildings around me being bombed, and then just when I thought, okay, nothing else bad can happen, got run over by a car, both legs. You're for sure the first Iranian they've ever, ever met right. in their life. So how you behave reflects on how these people will perceive foreigners and Iranians in their life and what they think of us. So you better always be on your best behavior. The battle of a leader is to be eternally optimistic and everything isn't always eternally optimistic. Yeah. How do you manage that? Uh, in a very unhealthy way. <laughs> it sounds cliche, but it's like, you're never gonna stop learning. Mm -hmm. And so just be, just have humility about where you are. Don't let people get in, into your head and don't drink your own Kool-Aid because you're mm -hmm. never gonna stop learning, mm -hmm. particularly you know, in your professional life or in your personal life. Thank you guys so much for joining us again for another episode of Unlinear, where we track the unlinear path of our guests and probably delve in to some current events and topics. Today, we have the good pleasure of sitting here with Maj Mohini, who is the co-founder and CEO of Nova Risk, which is a property casualty insurance company. Uh, Maz, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Look forward to it. All right, then. So I think, you know, I, I want to delve right in. There is, so from my experience as a, young, uh, my parents are Caribbean. So my experience as a young Caribbean guy is you go to school, you get a good job, you get a good wife. And then that, th those are your chances, especially as the immigrant journey. Going to college wasn't a, a maybe, it was an absolute. Uh, good grades wasn't a maybe, it was an absolute, even though maybe not everybody had done it or other people had done it. This is just what the immigrant journey was. We got here, yeah. let's make it work. I personally find that most immigrants have something similar in their upbringing, in the pressure of being a young person, which I don't know that people understand if they're not from that. What was it like for you? Because you came here older or were you born back home? Because you're born back home and then come here later, correct? I was born back home. I, back home being Iran. Yeah. And then I moved to Italy when I was, when I was a kid, when I was very young, <coughs> uh, around five, six years. Um, and then I came to Canada when I was in high school. So by the time I got wow. here, I was a teenager. Okay. And uh, basically had to learn two completely different languages from zero. So wow. initially when I went to, moved to Italy, spoke absolutely no Italian. So I had to learn to speak Italian, did my schooling there. And then when I came to Canada as a teenager, didn't know the culture, didn't speak the language. You know, luckily there's the ESL system here in Canada. Yeah. So I went through that and picked up the language. But it was a couple of years, it was actually pretty rough because particularly as a teenager, not being able to communicate with anybody it's tough. Like being a teen is tough enough as it is. Yep. Never mind having to communicate, right? But again, like I said, luckily, you know, Canada's got good support systems for that. Yep. But yeah, when I got here, um, when I was a teenager, it was, um, it was, you know, the, what you get preached by your parents mm -hmm. remains unchanged no matter where you are. So to your point, in the family that I grew up in, in particular, uh, and probably true of Iranian families in general, you know, getting a graduate degree is, is not a negotiable, yep. right? That's just, never mind undergrad. You're going to do that. Then you're going to do a graduate degree. Then you're going to go and get a good job. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, and good jobs typically fall within one of like four or five categories that I'm sure you can name. My dad wanted me an engineer. Yeah, there you go, right? <laughs> engineer, lawyer, doctor, yeah. the good old favorites, right? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, so, and, and so I did that. And then, you know, one of the things um, that sort of I get asked about is, what drives you? And I'm not sure I've figured out the answer to that. Okay. And, and I don't know if there's any one thing, but one thing that I have been able to put my finger on is one of the things that my parents drilled into me was you need to understand that 
we're done moving. This yeah. is it. We're staying in Canada. And okay. you are the first generation of the rest of the line of our family in this country. So what you do sets up or doesn't set up everybody that comes after you for success. So they remember had that, that conversation with you? Oh, yeah, all along. How old are you when they... Because that's essentially a passing of the mantle. Hey, it's on you. Yeah. When, yeah. How old are you when you have that moment? Well, it even started before we got to Canada when we went to Italy. Because when we went to Italy, they sat me down. I was only like five or six years old then. And I said, hey, we're going to Italy. Yeah. This is in, this is in the early 80s. Okay. And they're like, we're going to Italy. Not only are we going to Italy, but we're not going to like Rome or Milan. We're mm -hmm. going to a small town. You're the first foreigner mm -hmm. these people have likely ever met in yeah. their entire life. Yeah. And you're for sure the first Iranian they've ever, ever met right. in their life. So how you behave reflects on how these people will perceive foreigners and Iranians in their life and what they think of us. So you better always be on your best behavior. You better never be rude to anybody. You ever better th say thank you two or three times because you're representing an entire country now, not just yourself. You're representing both your family, your culture, your country. Your country, exactly. Your everything. Yeah, so don't be an asshole. Okay. Um, and, so, and so that was, that whole conversation was, okay, like how you carry yourself is important because you're representing more than just yourself, right? Okay. And that carries through into our lives today, right? You yeah. represent... Your family, you represent a business, you yeah. represent a charitable organization, yeah. whatever the case may be, right? Yeah. So I thought it was really good coaching from early on. And that what that got converted to when we got to Canada was you are now the first generation of a line of Moinis yeah. that are going to come after you. So set an example, both, um, you know, from a business perspective, but also from whatever, an ethical perspective, yeah. whatever the case may be. So that's always driven me to be like, I'm doing this, whatever it is that I'm building. And that's what drove me to entrepreneurship yeah. is... I want to build something because yeah. whatever I'm building hopefully does well for me and my immediate family, but hopefully does well for children and grandchildren as yeah. well. I want to I expand on that. So when, you, uh, when your family brings you to Italy from Iran, why is it that you guys leave Iran? I think I know based off the years, but why did you guys decide to leave yeah, Iran? Yeah, the years are critical. You hit the, hit the nail on the head. So I was born in 79, which was the year of the Iranian Revolution. Yeah, okay. And when it first happened, um, I think, so I was born into... Um, uh, you know, a family that was, you know, educated, mm -hmm. westernized, mm -hmm. secular. And really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so very clearly the mullahs coming into power wasn't good news. Yep. But it, I think, took a few years to realize how how bad of a news it was. Got and it. that there was there was no future there and they 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 needed to leave. And so um the we stayed there sort of the first um like I said, the first the first five years of of, of my life. And I'll tell you, before I get into why Italy, you know, I'll, I'll tell you <laughs> into some of the things that happen, because I think this, you know, we'll probably come back to kind of the theme of the immigrant experience and resilience. But sure. here's my first five years is survive the th tornado, survive the snake bite, survive the car getting shot through with uh, anti-aircraft ammunition, um, survive buildings around me being bombed. Because remember, this was also the Iran-Iraq war happened right after yes. the revolution, yes. right? And then just when I thought, okay, nothing else bad can happen, got run over by a car, both legs, right? So this is like the first six years of being around where you're like, holy shit, like a lot of, <laughs> a lot of bad things can happen. Um, and, uh, but that's not why we left. <laughs> it wasn't hit by a car. <laughs> yeah, the reason we left was, again, so my parents were like, you know, we, there's no, the country's not trending in a positive direction. Yeah. And so we need to leave. And then my dad and his older brother, they've been educated in Italy. Like their parents have sent them abroad okay. to get educated. Okay. So my dad 
before I was born, had spent close to two decades in Italy doing his, his undergrad all the way to his PhD, wow. started working in Italy. And it just happens by fluke that a company that he's working with in Italy sends him back to Iran to work on a project where he meets my mom and eventually I'm born, right? Okay. So when we had to leave, Italy was a natural choice and that's how we ended up going it to It was Italy. a home that he knew, but yeah. maybe not necessarily for your mom. You're, obviously your mom probably super supportive, yeah. ready to jump on board. But if I'm reading this right, your dad is the only one who's going to speak Italian when you get over there. You would, you would think so, but no. So here's why. <laughs> okay. Because the, where I was born, I was actually born in the middle of nowhere. Um, so the reason I got a snake bite, you know, your, your average town in Iran doesn't have snakes roaming around it, right? Okay. So the reason, uh, the reason I was where I was with, with everything that happened is I was actually born um, on the Persian Gulf. So wow. you hear, uh, you know, you might be familiar with the Straits of Hormuz, yeah. where a lot of the world's oil travels out of the Persian yeah. Gulf and, and, and into tankers. So the Iranian government had contracted an Italian construction firm to build a port on the Strait of Hormuz to facilitate the export of oil, okay. right? And the Italian company had basically built a compound. There's no town at the time. They had to build So they built like, like, like a ghost city or like a, like a, I got it what you're saying, like a city for the purpose of the workers. For the so purposes like, of building a port and building an, an actual city. Got it. Right? So they've got this compound that they've set up. So I'm born and live on this compound with all Italians so when my dad meets my mom, she brings her back into the compound. My mom is surrounded by not Iranians, by all Italians. all Italians. All that to say, she learned how to speak Italian. By the time we got to Italy, she could speak Italian. Wow. Uh, so okay. I was the only one that couldn't. Okay. Yeah. Any other siblings? My younger sister. Okay. Uh, who, was, uh, who was born, you know, when we moved to Italy, she was an infant. Okay. Yeah. And where, you said it was a small town. Where in Italy did you go? So I went to what would today be considered a suburb of Rome. Okay. Uh, you know, you, you, you're in the motorsport, so does yep. the name Aprilia ring a bell? Yep. It's an Aprilia bike, bike motorcycles. Yep. So the city's called Aprilia. No affiliation with the motorcycles. Okay, okay. Um, but it's about an hour outside of Rome. So, you know, we were talking about this earlier where back in the day, an hour outside of a city was another world. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah it's not the same. Like, it's not the same. <laughs> These days, it's probably a suburb. Yeah. But, uh, you know, back then, it was, it was a small town. It wasn't near a big city. Okay. And yeah. then you spent, so you get there at five. Yeah. You spend, because you say you come to Canada as a teenager, you spent about six years there or more. How long are you in Italy for? I spent about probably around eight years because I came wow. when, I, when I was 13 here. Eight years in Italy. Now, I remember, I've never had a child. But of what I hear of child rearing, seven to 12 are key. Zero to seven is like habit building. Seven to 12 is identity building. This is, this is how it was told. To, this is my father's logic, at least. Okay. At 13, is it easy for you to leave Italy? Or is it hard? Are you ready to go to Canada to carry this mantle for your family? Or were you very much ready to be an Italian for the rest of your days? Um, you know, I'm not sure that, uh, I'm not sure that at 13 I, I identified as anything. Okay. Whether it was Iranian or Italian or, or anything else. But what I do know for sure is I didn't want to come okay. because I didn't even know where the hell it was. I mean, wow. I, 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 remember, I remember my dad coming home and saying, because he talked about it. He, he, he signaled it. He signaled that we're, we're going to move. And, and the reason for it is because if you know anything about Italy, you know that it's not a meritocracy, right? It's, no. it's who you know or who you can pay oh, yeah. to get ahead. Yeah. And so he was like, I don't want... The kids growing up in this, I want the kids to be able to get by by their own wits and their own capitalism. intelligence and education, capitalism, meritocracy, yep. whatever you want to call yep. it, right? Yep. And so he said, he was like, yeah, so we, this isn't it. Like the, 
me, the older kid's getting old enough that we need to start thinking about where he's going to go to university. Okay. And I don't want him going to university here. And so he started doing research on places to emigrate to. And I remember he uh, had this distinct memory. He came home one day and he threw down a booklet that had what I didn't realize at the time, but I know now was a picture of the Rideau Canal in Ottawa, people skating on yeah. it. And he was like, we're, this is where we're moving. We're moving here. We're moving to Canada. And I literally had to go up to my, first of all, I cried. And then the second thing I did was I went to my room to pull up a map yeah. to see where the hell Canada was. Where was I, I had no conception of where it was. And I yeah. was like, and I remember the only solace I found, I was like, oh, I'm going to be close to New York City. That's great. I've always wanted to go to New York. Okay. But that's, that's about it. That's all I had. And so when we moved here, I thought, wow, this is the one ugly ass place. Right? Like, it's just the worst <laughs> weather, no architecture, yeah. you know, where, where the fuck are the museums yeah. and the art? Yeah. I think something like 70% of the art patronage in the world belongs to Italy, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, you could throw a stone and hit something that's a thousand years old. Yeah. And I remember coming here in Toronto, you know, Toronto's really evolved as a metropolis the past 10, 20 years. But you, you get here in, in 91. 91. You're in 91. So, different. 91 Toronto is underdeveloped, Regent Park probably. Yeah. It's getting a bit overrun at that point. That's pre-Raptors. Yeah. Recession. Yeah. Recession, 13, 13 and a half percent. Yeah. Uh, if you're here, is that Bob Ray? Is that Ray Days? Yeah. Is that Bob Ray's Ray Days? Yeah. Okay. Ray Days. Yeah, yeah, that's a, yeah. That's a tough time. It's not a great time. It's not a great time to get here in January. Yeah, that's a tough uh, time. That's a tough, well, uh, the Jays, I think the Jays would have just won the World Series. They're about to win one. They're about to win okay, one. Okay, there we go. here for that. There I was here for that. Yeah. And so, yeah, so I was just horrified. I was God. like, I don't understand yeah. why we're here, yeah. what we're doing, and I can't communicate with anybody. So it was, uh, it was not, it was not great, uh, great times to start. Do you go straight to Toronto, or are you in a suburb? Are you in Woodbridge, Richmond Hill, Scarborough, um, Thornhill? Your father sounds like a very employable individual. Does he have a job in the big smoke in Toronto, or is he working out in Thornhill, or uh, what? What is his employment at this time? No, I mean, I think that's what, um, you know, you again, you talk about what builds resilience and mental toughness and not making excuses. Yeah. You know, you, I look at, you know, a lot of people kind of look at me and they're like, well, you've, you're, you're, you're tough and you're resilient. You've achieved a lot. And I'm like, no, I haven't. Yeah. Look at what my parents did. Yeah. Right. My parents not only moved once, moved twice. Yeah. When they moved from Iran to Italy, there was connections in Italy to help with settlement and, and, and jobs and yeah, all that yeah, yeah. stuff. Because right? they'd gone to school there. and Yeah, yeah. And, and we actually had some family there. Yeah. Um, Plus working for the company that had that Italian base. Yeah. I, I would imagine yeah. being in that Italian town helps a bit too. You got it. Yeah. So the connections are there. Yeah. You go from uh, Italy to Canada, there's absolutely no connection. You're not talking about leaving a comfortable life in a country that you understand culturally, you speak the yeah. language. To a country that you don't understand at all, you have no connections. Yeah. It's just you're doing it purely for the kids. Yeah. You think about like the resilience and the balls it takes to do that. I'm not sure I'd have those balls. I'm not sure I do. Right? Two kids in, probably. I mean, two kids in is tough too. Yeah, two kids in is tough as well, right? So it was just come here, sort of liquidate what you've got, come here with the nest egg, no job, and figure it out. And that's what they did. Figured out, for, for those who don't know, I mean, obviously interest rates are doing what they're doing right now. 1991 Canada, 13.5% interest. Yeah. Uh, with a mayor, Bob Ray, we were kind of joking about it. Bob Ray was a very NDP uh, mayor uh, who was running a great deal of social programs. And I don't think that the society or economy or the population density was enough to handle it. So you started to see aggressive things happening. Uh, this is the beginning of teachers going on strike, services right. getting. I mean, I think they had a garbage crisis at some point. I mean, it was, this yeah. is a this is a different Toronto. Yeah. Um, and 
but it's also just in, infusing that sort of uh, immigrants perspective. It's also an influx of people coming from a lot of different places in the world. I think it's around that time that federally Canada understands, okay, we're not going to, we're not going to birth our way to right. mass. Yeah. We're going to have to immigrate our way to mass. Yeah. Um, now granted it's, people say it's hard to immigrate to Canada because you can't come if you have a felony, you can't come if you have a prior, but outside of that, it's not, if you're a Commonwealth country, it's, it's usually a, a relatively simplistic process. So this is a, a expanding and growing Canada, right? You come here, you're 13 years old, which means that you're going to spend your high school around these individuals, around these people. Yeah. Um, so this is that next chapter of your life. Yeah. You've gone from not to be indelicate, but you've essentially gone from war torn to historically preserved, which is what Italy is, <laughs> yeah. to developing, to blank yeah. canvas. Yeah. What is that like for you? What is your relationship like with, because obviously you talk about your relationship with Iran building your toughness. You talk with your relationship with Italy, almost building your, your, your love of the history, your love of the architect, yeah. your, your love of the arts, um, your taste for the finer things, the sense of, of culture. And in Canada now, there's this new emerging culture. What is that like for this young man who's you know, taking from so many different sort of vantage points? Yeah, I, I'm not sure that I could put my finger when I, for a very, very long time, on what exactly Canadian culture is. Yeah, I mean, I know it's it's, it's a bit of a joke because most Canadians probably would have a hard time. Like, it's a whole thing. What like what does it mean to be Canadian? Yeah. Right? and I struggle with that personally because I was like, I don't. What is it? Like, yeah. what does it mean to be Canadian? Right, and so. Um, where I think I came to terms with it, and this is probably only like in the last 10 years, was the beauty of it is it's whatever you make it, yes. particularly in a city like Toronto, yeah. right? And so I think it was just saying, look, to me, to, to, to be Canadian in Canada, the way I rationalize it to myself is it provides, the Canadian dream combines, you know, American style opportunity without the uh, probability that you will get shot at any point in time when you leave your house, <laughs> okay. if yeah, I yeah. can put it that way, yeah, right? Yeah. So you've kind of got, you've got kind of the, the upside of the U.S., not quite to the same degree without all the downside of the yeah. U.S. And I'm talking as an entrepreneur now, yeah. but I'm also talking as a parent, as yeah. a family man, right? And so when I got into my corporate career and you know started having a successful corporate career, I had the opportunity to relocate to Asia, to True. relocate to Europe. And that's when I realized how much I like Canada is because I, I had the choice and I made the conscious choice to be like, I've been those places yeah. and I and I would not choose to raise my kid in those places. Okay. I realize how good I've got it here. Yep. And, that, and so that was one proof point, if you will. The other proof point was when you work for multinational corporations, you always have people cycling in from other parts of the world. Sure. And these guys would come in and they would never want to leave. Right. You know, they would come to Canada on a secondment for two, three, whatever years, the mm -hmm. would be up and they'll be like, can we, can we find something for me to stay here? I don't want to go back to London, to Milan, to Hong Kong, wherever uh -huh. I came from, because I like the quality of life here. And I was like, yeah, well, you know what? This is what Canada is all about, right? It provides that you know, that safety, that stability. And, and you know, Canadians are, um, uh, you know, so they're fiscally conservative and socially liberal, right? right? And that's the balance. And if you're okay with that balance, it's a great place to be and a great place to thrive. Fiscally conservative, socially liberal. I like yeah. that touch point. Yeah. I think that that's a very interesting way of saying what Canada is. Most people who complain about Canada, I always argue, haven't actually lived anywhere else. They've vacationed other places. Right. And they're using their vacation experience to besmirch Canada. 
Canada provides a great deal. I, I tell people all the time, I would not be me if not for the fact that I was Canadian yeah. in the ways that society was able to both help and hurt me, right? Because yeah. you got to develop your hardship in a certain way. Yeah. Um, I'm a totally different person if I'm in Atlanta. I'm a different person if I'm in New York. I'm a different person if I'm in LA. I'm definitely a different person if I'm in London. I'm a different person if I'm in Paris. I'm a different person if I'm in the Middle East. Canada is the one place because, because of that immigration component, you're somewhere else, but you can feel home. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I've never been uh, to Iran. When I speak to people, they have their nest egg of people. Like, I've yet to meet, at least in Canada, it is rare that you meet someone who's a silo. Right. What I mean by that is, you know, if you go to China and you see a person who looks like myself, Nubian black, he's, hey, we're, we're your friends. They're not usually going to have a, a convent of other Nubian black individuals that they're connecting with in this culture. It's usually they're assimilating, which yeah. is there's nothing wrong with that, but that's just what those other countries provide. Canada is one of those where you have your core and you're choosing to sort of mix. Yeah. So there's no assimilation, there's mixing. Mixing provides learning, it allows you to create something new, which I think drives us to how, um, uh, before we transition, because obviously you allude to, you have a successful corporate career working for one of the largest insurance companies in North America, mm -hmm. um, a, a Titan name, uh, I'll let you mention it if you want, but a Titan name, very comfy, working under, you know, some people that you respect, things adjust, you make a decision to go out on your own. Yeah. How hard was it for you? Because obviously when you work in an enterprise like that, you are a part of capitalism. Yeah. But to go into entrepreneurship, you're actually, you're now essentially going out to drive capitalism. Yeah. You know, you're going to get your, you essentially, there's, when you work for a company, you're getting your money from the, from the business. Someone is paying you. When you start a company, you're waiting for your money from the world. <laughs> yeah. You got to get it. You got to get it from the atmosphere. Yeah. How hard was that a transition for you to make? It was, um, you know, let me, let, me, let, me, let me go back a step to something yeah. you said, because I want to pick up on it before mm -hmm. we get into the transition. So, because I, I think you've had, hit the nail on the head, just go back on a Canadian discussion, because yeah. one of the, um, again, one of the reasons why I like Canada, I admire Canada is I... Whenever people ask me where you're from, I always struggle to answer that question because I feel no more or less Iranian at this point in my life. Yeah. Iranian, then Italian, then Canadian. Okay. Right? And so it's it's sort of, but Canada is a type of society and space where you can say that and no one's going to judge you or hate on you Correct. for that. Right? They'll be like, okay, man, that's cool. You do you. I get you. Right? Yeah. And especially if you live in this big city like Toronto, there's so many people that are like that and yeah. understand what you mean when you say that. So I think that's what, you know, to your point around, you know, assimilation and multiculturalism, it's not contrived. It's not forced down your throat like it might be in some other parties, like assimilate or, or move on like yep. the U.S. And I really like that for my kids, right? Is okay. that where they go, where they go to school and who they go to sc school with, it's so diverse that, you know, kids, you know, the old idiom of kids don't see color, they yep. don't. They're right. complete, un, un, you know, until until the world gets to them. Yeah, the world gets right? to them and then they see it, but exactly. in the beginning they don't, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, By the way, do your kids go to private school or public school? Great question. So... They go, they go to public school. Okay. And I, 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 I like them going to public school. I'm very conflicted about them going to private school. Okay. Where, so I don't think we have any, my wife and I have talked about it. I don't think we have any issues with public school up until high school. Okay. And then high school becomes a question of, you know, do you want a more controlled environment, arguably, that private school 
can provide. provide versus which is a safety and exposure thing for you at that point, I guess. Yeah, because when I, where I went to high school and I did not go to high school in a bad neighborhood, there was there was gangs, there was guys that had guns, firearms in their yeah. lockers, there was there was all that stuff, and that was in like an affluent neighborhood. Yeah, in the GTA, right? Same. I went I went to school in the suburbs, yeah. and uh, some of the, it's just that nature of public school. Yeah, you 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 get to see the world a little bit. Yeah, you know, but yeah. But I here's the it. thing. Yeah. Do you want, do you, particularly with kids, like yeah. for example, mine who are, uh, uh, what's, what's the word? Um, you know, they're, 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 they're fortunate, right? They're, they're living, they're yep. growing up privileged lives, right? Yep. Yep. Do you want to keep cocooning them by putting them in a private school? Do you want them to go to high school like that and, and see the real world, so to speak? I always think it depends on the child, right? If, if again, I don't have one, but I used to be a youth leader. I was a youth leader in, in church for, for like a decade. It's a 10 years of my life. So I saw different young people who dealt with different things. You earn the right to send your kid to public school if you're a very present parent because they're going to spend about six hours of the day there. Uh, they're going to come home. You better be able to feed another three hours at home focused, not kind of around a focused three hours. Then I think you're fine um, because though I was exposed to a lot of things in high school, my home messaging offset it so aggressively okay. that I really was able to pick and choose. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Absolutely. So I did. So for example, okay, this is, this is one that I'm embarrassed to say it now, but I'm in high school. The big thing that's happening is Crips and Bloods, like this gang affiliation thing. So you're either red or blue. I knew enough to know, okay, I'll probably wear a bandana, but I'm not going to wear red or blue colors because I'm not going to alienate myself or uh, link myself to any one of these two groups because I do kind of understand where that goes based off what was told to me in my home life. Yeah. But there are ways that you want to find tribe as, yeah. a, as a young man. Right. Um, little things like that. You know, uh, my, my parents were also, I mean, this just happened to be my thing. I was very involved in church. So every Friday I had somewhere to go and I was a volunteer and then all day Sunday. And then you have Wednesday Bible study. So three of my days are connected to this messaging that's consistent with what my parents are saying. And then, yeah, sure. I got my five days at school where I'm playing sports teams and stuff, but then you're, you're talking to your other, Hey, do you go to church? And then you, you, the conversation just kind of yeah. evolved. If it was a free open canvas, like I just go to school, come home and I wait for my parents to, you know, and, and then we eat together maybe without the messaging. Yeah. It, it'd be different. Yeah. It would have been dramatically different. That's a great way to look at it. Yeah. That's a great point. Um, yeah. So do you go back to your question around, uh, how do you make the jump? How do you make the jump? Um, cause the jump is scary, especially when you have, I'll tell so, cause, cause you are older, which is why I find your jump more interesting. The time I made my jump, I was working for a company called Genworth. I had finished college about two years prior. I was a regional auditor for Genworth. So I was auditing mortgage bank approvals and I was assessing risk. It was a phenomenal job. I had a company card. At 23 years old, I was making a six-figure income. So I remember thinking, not even 23, I was 22. Yeah, 22, six-figure income. I remember scaling it out and thinking, okay, I'm going to do this for eight years. They like me. I know how to play corporate. I know how to play politics. I know how to do this. I'll, I'll get the big job. Eight years, I'll, I'll, I'll get close. Yeah. And then, you know, you, they give you the chart. So I Google it and you take a look. 350 a year. 350 a year regional guy. Wasn't happy. And I remember just thinking that. If I, ma if I master this lane that I'm in right now, I'm going to get 350 a year and the big job. By the time I'm 30 yeah. or 32, I don't want it. Yeah. That was the moment when I said, okay, I got to make the jump. Yeah, I, I, I had that. Okay. That was, that was, that was one, of, one of the drivers. Um, but for me, I mean, to take it back, you know, you don't always, 
So here's the thing. There's, 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 there's somebody in my network right now who had a, who had a, who had a great line they, once. They told me, they said, you know, it's always good for your kids. Uh, they, were giving, they were giving me their parental wisdom, mm-hmm. right? And they had, they had like three or four things they wanted to pass on. And one of those bullets was you want your kids to have a mentor and that mentor can't be one of their parents. Okay. Um, find a mentor for your kid, somebody that you like for the kid to look up to, that okay. the kid can connect with, that can be a positive influence in their life. That's not mom or dad, because mom and dad are always lecturing and this and that, somebody yeah. that they admire. You want your kid to have that. Yeah. And, I, and I thought about that. I thought, first of all, it's a great line. And I thought about myself, and I was like, I definitely had that. And who I had was my, my uncle, my father's brother in Italy, who was a very successful entrepreneur, okay. but his kids in a top-notch private, private school. school. Okay. Um, they developed their networks in, you know, the right circles in Europe. Yep. You know, mar- married the right way, so on and so yep, forth. Yep, and, yep. I, and I thought, and I thought, you know, it, uh, I'm not sure I realized it, but subliminally that's always been my, my mentor. Right? Okay, that, yeah. Right? So I never thought about it that way. Yeah. But if I think, thought about who I look up to and who I'd want to emulate from like a- If even really subconsciously, like just this natural pull to- Yeah, wanna, from yeah. a material perspective. And on top of that, just a good dad, yeah. right? Like not an absent dad, good dad, held yeah. the line, traveled a lot, but was not absent, you yeah. know, that kind of thing, right? So like ticked all Which the right possible, boxes. Which is possible, by the way, for those who think that you can't, it's very possible to travel a lot but not be absent. Absentee fatherism is not a measure of geography. I don't yeah, think. that's just that's just an excuse. Yeah, yeah you can you can be there. And so, um, so I just thought like as a, as a as a as a figure of somebody you want to look up to as a man, I thought like that was that was the guy, right? And so that is the guy. He's still around, luckily. Um, and uh, and so I kind of did the same projection for you then. I was yeah. like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I knock it out of the park here. I got to the top of this pyramid. Yeah. I'm not building the life this dude's built for himself. Like it right. just ain't happening, yep. right? And and then, you know, the other part of it too was, it's not all altruistic. Like, I like nice stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, you see the guys that are like, had the fancy titles and whatever, come in with like the worst suits. Yep. And like, and you're like, this is not, not what enough. I aspire not to, enough, right? Dude. Like, yep. that's not what I want. I've seen what nice suit is. I grew up in Italy, <laughs> goddammit. That's not it. Um, and so it was a combination of those things. So then I, I tried to your point about it. I did it when mm-hmm. I was older. I, I tried a couple of times when I was younger, mm-hmm. and it, it didn't work out, right? Mm-hmm. Like the penny didn't drop. It didn't work out. So then the third time around during the pandemic when the opportunity came around, mm-hmm. to your point, I was like, well, like I hopefully the third time is a charm because if I – if I don't do it now, by mm-hmm. the time the next one comes around, it might actually be too late yeah. at that point in time, right? Mm-hmm. So I gave it a go and it was, uh, I, I don't know if this is a good advice, but the reason I wasn't scared is because I didn't think about it. I was just like, fuck it. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to barrel forward. I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. And I'm just not even going to think about like failure being an option. I'm just going to go, mm-hmm. right? And so I was just lucky that, I have a supportive spouse because I don't think you can take that attitude and without move a spouse. forward without a spouse that supports you, right? How long have you been, if you don't mind me asking, how long have you been married? So I've been married, uh, this year's going to be 14 years. 14 years. Yeah. So you were 10 years in when you say, hey, babes. Yeah. Big change. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hey, it's a good time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not sure. Like she didn't even bat an eye. She's like, I trust your judgment. Wow. You do you. Yeah. And, 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 and let's do this. And, and, um, 
she's super supportive, but the way she's supportive is she just doesn't, um, she, she just, she doesn't inter interfere, right? She, like, she lets me do what I got to do. She stands back. She's like, if you need to talk, you know, I'm here. Yeah. But otherwise I'll, I'll let you do what you got to do. Right. Yeah. And so, um, it's been a journey, man. Like you've, you, 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 you know, you're very articulate and you've hit on a lot of the ways it's different yeah. from life in the corporate world. And, I think when I started, I knew some of that, yeah. but definitely not all of it. Yeah. It's been like a massive learning learning uh, journey. Yeah. yeah. I think for me, when I think about entrepreneurship and I think about the process of trying to be an entrepreneur um, and I look at the generation that we're in now or the, that I'm a part of, I'm seeing where the, the taste for entrepreneurship is going down a little bit, but probably because of the cost. Okay. Entrepreneurship is not glamorous, right? Like it is rewarding. Yeah. There are moments of incredible reward. They may even extend for, an, for a long period of time, but I've never seen somebody sell their company and that was their goal when they started the company. Right. Their goal when they start the company, I want to make this the biggest, baddest thing ever. Right. And then one day for scale or for whatever, for health, three, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll dump it. And, yeah. and then they make their habit and they, and they walk away. Too often I'm seeing people want to run to entrepreneurship as a means to like have a long standing vacation. Interesting. I don't see it being something where they want to go and actually struggle for it. Yeah. For example, I remember my favorite, my favorite, uh, 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 my, so I played college football. My favorite story is the Michigan Wolverines. Under Coach Wooten, he has a sign, and and it was it was like uh 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 actually it was Bo Schembechler. Bo Schembechler is coaching the Michigan Wolverines. He comes in. They said, you know, a football team's gonna have about forty four guys, fifty three guys, fifty three man roster. In college, uh, you know, you get like two hundred guys showing up, especially in Michigan. He said they were having ten guys quit every day, and he, they're losing so many players. And the coaches come to him and say, man, because he's running them hard. He's his famous line is, I'll treat you all the same like dogs. And he was running them like crazy in the dead of the summer. He puts up a sign and he says, those who stay will be champions. The sign is still there in Michigan Wolverine Stadium today. That heart, that mentality, that... I don't know that people understand how much mentality is key. Yeah. Not skill, not ability, mentality. Yeah. If you think about the hardest day that you've had running your business versus the hardest day you had when you were working for someone else's business, how would you compare the two? I don't think there's any comparison because when you're, you're running your own business, it's when you're dealing with issues, they're existential issues, okay. right? They're not corporate issues, okay. right? So I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, like, I'll give you a very good example. Like the hardest, um, I don't know if it's the hardest, but it was definitely top, top of the list. And, um, and more recent in my memory, because it's just, just happened more recently, was, you know, during the pandemic within, within my P&L, um, the corporate, uh, my corporate job, I had, um, I had the healthcare business. So if you think wow. about, if you can stretch your mind to what was happening in hospitals and long-term care centers and elder care centers mm -hmm. during the pandemic, mm -hmm. like I had that portfolio very, very large portfolio across Canada, that business during the pandemic. And there was a lot of not great things that were happening at the time. Okay. And so you were dealing with a lot of dark topics and issues. Um, uh, and, you know, you were doing that on top of having to basically 
oversee a business remotely. And mm -hmm. so there was, there was a lot going on. And just in insurance in general, I don't think people realize you deal with a lot of morbid shit. Okay. Right? Like yep. in insurance, you're dealing with anything that happens in society, whether it's, you know, terrorism, it's, it's medical malpractice, it's any ills of society somehow at the end of the day, touch on insurance, insurance. people, insurance companies have to deal with them. And so, um, you deal with all that, but it's, it's, you deal with it in a way that you can compartmentalize it and, and it's over there to a certain perspective. Whereas I think within an entrepreneur journey, it hits home a lot more because it's, it's sort of like a lot of times, particularly when you get going and early on in the journey, it's, it's existential stuff that you're dealing with, right? Yeah. To your point, if you can't raise the capital, the key ain't going to open the door tomorrow, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, if you can't raise the capital, people who believed in you and have followed you yeah. to come and do this thing uh, aren't going to get paid because yeah. you're not going to make payroll, right? Yeah. So I think the challenges are, uh, from my perspective at least, I think it's a lot more real and it's a lot more difficult. Um, and to your point, uh, I think that's a great line where you say, where you say people underestimate how much positive thinking or whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. mental resilience, positive thinking, the right mental attitude mm -hmm. helps you get through it. Because for me personally, if you can't maintain uh, that right mental equilibrium, because it's ultimately up to on your shoulders to solve the problem mm -hmm. when it's going gets tough. Oh, right? yeah. And I've said this to other like new entrepreneurs, I've said, understand, it doesn't matter who's around you, who's supporting you. It's your call. It's, at the end of the day, your back's against the wall. You're going to have to solve it. No one else is going to be able to or is going to be there when the going really gets tough. Yeah. You're going to have to fix it. And so uh, you have to have the right state of mind to do that and just not to crumble mentally yeah. right? and to just be able to get through some of those periods. So, And I draw a lot of inspiration from football. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's, it's funny that you brought that up. I yeah. draw a lot of inspiration from football and football philosophy in terms of being able to get some, through some of those periods. Yeah. yeah. Random question, as a young guy, young unmarried guy talking to another entrepreneur who is a married guy, if you were unmarried and running your business, do you think it would be easy for you to find a spouse? Because your business, let's say it's beyond your business doing well, because I, I would assume uh, of the little I know from when you did meet your spouse, so yeah. we're talking 10 years, you were kind of already, not a rock star, but you're well on your way in the insurance business at that point. So there's a level of stability that you must feel. That stability is what drives a lot of men to say, nah, I can do it. I can take on a woman. I can, I can look at me. I'm doing okay. If you're single, unmarried, but running your business with everything we just talked about, yeah. do you think it'd be easier or harder for you to have gotten married? It's a good question. It's not one that I've ever thought about, to be honest with you. Um, I think, you know, I guess, because your premise is the stability helps you make the commitment. Unless it was a different thing for you. But I know for most, they say 73% of people who aren't getting married think it's too expensive. 73% of the yeah. demographic, 18 to 45, they're not doing it because they think it's too expensive. So I'm assuming you were in that 27% uh, thinking, ah, I got it. You know what? The, it's funny. So the, um, I've, I know this is going to make me sound like I'm an absolute robot, <laughs> but there was romance was just a fraction of what I considered when I got married. Okay. And so what I mean by that is, there was, there was two things that were more important okay. in, in finding a spouse. Okay, all right, okay, here we go. And, and we were talking about this, I think, before the cameras got rolling. I wasn't planning on getting married when I met my future wife, right? right. It all just happened fortuitously because my buddy screwed me in Cancun, basically. <laughs> we, we, we can get into that later, but 
Uh, so I just ended up, ended up, ended up meeting her. And she ended so up, you're in Mexico, you're in Cancun, Mexico on what's supposed to be a boy's trip. So I've, yeah, so I've just broken up my girlfriend okay. and I'm in. Her loss, by the way, he's a successful uh, CEO now. Yes, I, I still run into her from time to time at the grocery store. Good so for her. I'll, I'll make sure to tell her that. You're a loss. <laughs> um, so I've, yeah, so I, 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 I'd broken up with her. Uh, a, a friend that I was going to university with said, I'm arranging a boys trip to go to Cancun. Yeah. Do you want to go? It's like, Where'd yeah. you go to college, by the way? Where'd you go to university? So I went all over the place. So this story, when I, this happened, I went to what's now called TMU. TMU Toronto Met. So you're at formerly Rye High. Rye High. Yeah, Rye High. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. which I don't, I don't think I like that. They like <laughs> that. But I was, I was at Ryerson, then I went to U of T, then I went to Laurier, then I went to Oxford. You went everywhere. Yeah, so I did a bit of everything. And um, he was well learned. I don't know why this girl let you walk out the door, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's another story altogether. <laughs> Wasn't her fault, let's put it that oh, way. Oh, dear. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, so, so he says, you know, boys trip, let's go. How do you, if you don't mind me asking, how do you when you take this boys trip? Uh, mid twenties, I'm gonna say. Mid twenties, okay. Early mid twenties. So you think I got time too? I'm not looking for a wife at all. I'm just gonna go have fun on no, this no, trip. No, no, not at all. Okay. Not at all. Okay. No. And the whole point was I just broken up, so it's like let's go to Cancun and let's have some fun, yeah. right? So, so I said to him, I says, uh, I'll go. I only have one condition. Yeah. I said uh, this trip, like everybody else is going on the trip, is it's your buddies from your circle. I'm the only guy that's coming from school that you know, so yeah. I'm not gonna know anyone else. Yeah. And, you know, it's double occupancy when you go to these resorts. So I want to stay in the room with you. I don't want to stay with some rando that I don't know. Because I don't know this right? guy. Because yeah. I don't know anybody else. I don't want to go. He's like, all right, no, it's all good. Let's go. So we go. We show up to the airport. It's me, him, a couple other guys, a couple of girls that are going from Toronto. So we show up there. We land there. The night we land at a resort, you know, we're just grabbing a drink before we even check into the room. And he's, he calls me aside. He's like, listen, just one thing. He's like, what? I go, he's like, he's like I really, I really... I've got a girl coming here that's that's gonna meet me here. I need the room. I cannot have you in the room. I really need you to bunk with somebody else. I'm like, man, I told you I said one thing I don't wanna do. He's like, no, no, it's all good, it's all good. Like, it, it's not even a dude, it's it's that girl right over there. And I said, but that's even worse, worse yeah. to be bunking with a girl, right, yeah. when you're in Cancun. He's like, come on, do me the solid, yada, 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 this and that. So that's how I end up meeting my wife. Your wife is the roommate? My wife is a roommate. Get out of town. Yeah. Okay. Years later, did he admit, was this a setup? No, no. no this he is was, an accident. He was just an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's, 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 he's a cop with the Toronto Metropolitan Service now, so he's definitely an asshole. Golly. Right? Um, but uh, he's, uh, no, good, great guy, obviously. Yeah. Great guy. But no, it was, it was legitimate, just a bait and switch. This wow. was not a setup. And so I ended up meeting, meeting her that way. And then, uh, you know, we just stayed in touch and it developed over time. But, but when, it got, when it got serious, the reason why I thought she was the one, it was because the other two criteria was, number one, I'd seen my dad go through rough patches professionally. Okay. And I knew how important it was that your, that your spouse stuck with you yes. through those periods and supported you yes. rather than be ambivalent or stick the knife in because that can crumble you, Yeah. right? And I knew she she would stick by her man. Like I knew that was the- Was there a was, moment or was it just years of seeing her character? It was just, yeah. year, it was just years of dating and understanding that that, and not, so, so that was, <laughs> I'll get back to something else. So that was one thing. And then the other thing was she always knew I was, I was ambitious. Yeah. So you fast forward, 10 years and yep. it's like, hey, I want to I cut this break from this comfortable life and do something that's risky. Yeah. 
it wasn't a surprise to me that she was like, yes, because I tested for that yeah. right at the start. Right. Okay. So that's what I mean when I say it was, it was all calculated for me. It was cause I needed to find the right person that I knew would evolve with, with me you. the way I was through my life. Yeah. Right. And then the last thing I always say, I'm probably going to get in a lot of trouble for saying this is look at the mom because that will just tell you the genetics. So mom, mom, mom's super fit. So I was like, all right, everything's going to work out. So you check the genetics for futures. You're writing yes. futures. Uh, she has to respect your ambition. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and she has to stick by her man. She has to be loyal. Yes, that's right. She checked all three. She had a good mom. Yeah. Loved your ambition. Was going to be loyal. Yeah. And then it was game on. Yeah. And, and again, it's not so much loyalty. It's just, are you, you know, because because loyalty's almost become a, a, a dirty word in the post-Trump world, right? So it wasn't this like <laughs> blind loyalty of stick by your man, 1955. It was more so, can I, when, t when tough things happen, do I know you're going to be there and you're not going to bolt for the yes. door because you're all about yourself, yes. right? And so I, I, I knew that I knew okay. that you had a good human there. So that so understanding that criteria, obviously it wasn't stability then. It was somebody who respects your ambition could go through the hard times. Yeah. So that being said, it suggests that even in your entrepreneurship journey with the extra stress, you would have still had the capacity for a spouse. You would still be able to make the choice to get married in a, in your entrepreneur's uh, pursuits. Yeah, I I. For sure, I, I I don't I don't know. Yes, so sorry. So the, yeah. the short answer to your question is, I don't know that it would have made a difference yeah. for me. But part of it is also cultural. Okay. Right. So again, like the way I was raised at my age, not to be married would have been taboo. How I'm not saying that's married? right or wrong. What? How old were you when you got married? When I was I was pretty old actually. So I was I was uh, thirty, which I guess by today's standards old? isn't too bad. But I thirty's old to get old. married. I, th I thought it was Damn, like dude. a lot of uh, probably a good 75% to 80% of my friends were married before me. You got married in 90. No, you got married 28, 2008, 2007, 2010. Gosh, that's close. Yeah. 2010. 2010. 2010 is uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thir you thought 30 was old to get married in 2010. Yeah. I wouldn't tell them anything. You know, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Because just you don't even know how the world's going to change by the time they're they're at that age. So we try not to, and we're not like an overly political correct family, mm -hmm. but we try not to impose any sort of biases on them to mm -hmm. be like, oh, like, do you want to get married? Who do you want to get? Because. I don't even know what their sexual orientation is. Mm -hmm. So I don't even know if they're one going to get married. So right. I don't, so, and I, and even the bias of, we were talking earlier around um, in my family, when I was growing up, uh, it was, um, uh, you, you, you know, there was an expectation that you were going to get the postgraduate degree, yep. right? You've, I'm sure you've seen it. We've all seen it. So many of our friends have these worthless degrees from universities that have absolutely done absolutely nothing for them in their professional We have a story life. coming out about it. In 2020, believe it or not, Canada tipped the world as the highest percentage of individuals 18 to 35 with a college degree, okay. bachelor or higher, okay. 66%. So 66% of our people are supposed to be higher educated. Right. And yet uh, we see, uh, I don't know if it's having too much of an impact on how our world is working. Yeah, so. exactly. Um, and so, and so I don't even go. I like if I could go back, I wouldn't go to school. I, I needed school for the structure. I yeah. didn't know who I was. I will be, I will be very clear. Yeah. I was a young kid. I was highly obedient. I just followed what my parents said to me. Yeah. Uh, so I needed to go to school. Yeah. 
if I could go back, knowing what I know now, I would not have gone to school. I would have started my business right away. Yeah, it's funny. I was thinking about that on the way here. Yep. And I was thinking about like the, the people that I know in, in my life that have been successful. I don't think whether they went to school or what they did in school had a bearing on their success. It was another it factor that helped them drive forward and be successful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And arguably, they would have achieved a level of success in their life, regardless of whether they held that piece of paper mm -hmm, or not, mm -hmm. right? And so, um, and so, yeah, so for that reason, you know, we don't even, I want the kids to get good grades because I want them to live to their full potential, do well at what they're doing right now. Yeah. But not because we're, we're, we're driving, you know, the tiger mom culture of you've got to have a 99% average because you got to get into like the best school ever and this and that. So people talk about that, right? They talk about the tiger mom. Tiger Woods talks about his father. You know, the Williams sisters they talk about their father. There is this world of uh, over-excelling over parents creating yeah. kids that can be great, but they also can, yeah. can block. I personally think it comes down to the child, but... I don't know. Do you think, I mean, you've had blank canvas young girls and you've seen them grow. How much influence do you think you have had, you as an individual? Because parents are probably your single biggest influence, but they're not the only influence. The rest of the pie is probably still 70% or 60% whatever. How much influence do you think you could have had to sort of tiger mom your, 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 your kids to make them, I don't know, super hyper, uh, yeah. uh, you know? I think... I think it's hard to tell because it's an unfinished project, right? Yeah. So my kids are 11 and 8, so they're quite oh, they're young. Oh, okay. And you so, turn, turn it on now, man. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I'll tell you, and I have, but I, 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 they can turn on a dime as well, right? Yeah, like when they sure. turn a teenager, so it's hard to tell. But like I will tell you like a couple of things that I know for sure at this, at this point in the journey. One of them is before I had kids, I didn't know. I was like, yeah, like what's the deal? Like do they do they come, come out of the womb with their own personality or does, do you and the world sets their personality? Yeah. What, I, what I think I know for sure now is they come out of the womb with their own personality. You think so? Well, I know so because- Fresh out. Own personality. Okay. Immediately. One second, what do you think? You have kids, I don't have kids. I just, from, we're checking with the producer. What do you think? Yes or no? Do they come out with their own personality? 50-50. Wow. <laughs> I'm learning something from the fathers in the room. Okay. So they come up with their own personality. Yeah. It's like mine couldn't be any more different, right? From when they were young. Wow. They couldn't have been any more different from each other. Okay. And that, that trajectory stuck. Okay. Um, and so one's been very sweet, kind soul. The other one's an asshole. And, <laughs> and it just, it's, it's been like that since the start. Since the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And I don't mean like an asshole in a bad way. Like, the, like asshole, the asshole is the one that will make you laugh. They'll, they'll give you love. That's affectionate, right? But yeah. it's also the one that's like, I'm not doing this. Go fuck yourself, right? <laughs> so it's so they're very different. Okay. And, and so that's one thing. And then the other, the other one is that your parenting, there is such a thing as parenting because my kids are very well behaved. Mm -hmm. They will not misbehave their own public. They'll, they'll do what they're told. Mm -hmm. uh, and I look at a lot of the kids that are the same age are, are in our social circle mm -hmm. and the way they're being raised and they're completely out of control. Mm -hmm. And it's, to me, that's like, that's, that's, that's the parenting and the coddling that's doing that. My mom used to say that parenting was a test of will. And I said, cause I used to joke, my mom is insane. I, I love you mom, my mom is crazy. So there was one time I said, mom, how did you, cause there are times that I listened to my mother and consciously I didn't want to. I don't know if what I'm saying makes sense. Like in my own mind, no, I'm not doing that. Yeah. I'll put a perfect example. There was one time my mom and I, we, we, so my mom was very passionate. We got into it one time and I was upset. Okay, fine. You know, and my mom lives, for those who don't know, my mom lives essentially an hour north from here. She lives in Orangeville. 
but uh, she lives by herself. So I, I, I usually go up, I shovel her snow and I cut her grass. Recently I've stopped because my schedule isn't as open. Um, so I send people to do it. But like back in the day, I didn't have money to pay. So mom, I'm coming up, I'm gonna shovel your snow and cut your grass. But we get into like a big argument. Like I was really upset, you know? So um, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not coming to cut the grass. <laughs> and I, and I, so I'm in Brampton at the time, she's in Orangeville. And like, just like nothing had happened, she just calls. Are you like, are you going to be here in 30 minutes, 40 minutes? Like, <laughs> and everything in my body was like, I'm, no, I'm not coming. And I couldn't bring myself yeah. to tell my mom no. Yeah. And sure, I was, I cut the, I was, I was the angriest I'd ever cut the grass before in yeah. my life. <laughs> I cut it. I begged it. Bye, mom. Kiss on the cheek. Just got back in the car. And I just didn't understand. I asked her, how did you, she was being a parent is a test of love and the breaking of wills. Yeah, that's a great line. And I, I was like, wow. She was so, I let you know from young, my will is stronger than yours, but I love you. Yeah, yeah. And it's, and in a weird way, when I think about it, it's always, I've always, like, there's many years I thought, yeah, my mom was superhuman. She'll outlast me. She'll out, she'll out whatever me in love. And it's this really, is just the it's really fascinating that you say that because I'm experiencing both sides of that right now. Okay. So as a, as, as a, as a dad and as a son. Okay. Because as a son, I've used that exact same, uh, sorry, as a father, I've used that exact same line with my wife, with the asshole kid. Okay. When, when, and, and to be fair, she's turned into a great little girl, but when she was a, a toddler and- Just and, testing, testing, and, testing. Yeah, just a, just a dick. Mm -hmm. and, and I used to always say to my we need to break her. Yeah. She is, it's like, a, it's like a stallion. You need to break her. Because yeah. if you don't break her now- Good luck later when she's a teenager, right? So yeah. you cannot let her get away with it now, right? Mm -hmm. And I used to use that phrase. And my wife initially thought, like, that's, like, a ridiculous comment for you to make, right? And then eventually she came around to, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Like, that, that's what needs to happen. You need to be tough. You need to break. And then, and then, and then you smooth it over with the love, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and then, it, interestingly, with my mother, who, thank God, is, is, is still around, I have it's been the same battle, but the opposite of you're no longer going to break me. Like we're past that point. Wow. Right? You can try your guilt trips yep. and all this other stuff, but yep. there's no more breaking. And now, and unfortunately, like I've had to, I've had to do the breaking to be like, I'm just going to demonstrate yeah. that this is, this is done. There's no more break. I will not shovel. Yeah. Right. Not today at least. Yeah. Yeah. To demonstrate that I've broken. Yeah. Don't come and do it tomorrow okay. because memories <laughs> should be short because it's family. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. I think, I mean, one of the things that I've been struggling with, which is why I love talking to other entrepreneurs, other operators, because I think there are people that run businesses and they work in the business, not on the business. I love talking to those people who've taken that extra step where they work on their business. They're vision casting, they're building teams, they're, you know, they're sequencing up five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years into the future. I think that's a different game, if you understand what I mean. And I'm not, I'm not besmirching anybody. I mean, there's always that time when you're working it in the business, yeah. then hopefully graduates working on the business. Yeah. All that mental capacity as an operator, all the information you need to hold, all the ways you manage your staff. I sit at a point right now where I think, just because we're talking about marriage, children, if I don't get married, I don't think I'll ever be truly vulnerable with somebody ever again. Now, it's not to say I don't have mentors or people that I talk to, but there's that power dynamic. There's that structure as an entrepreneur, as an operator that I never want to break. And I don't know that anybody but my wife would ever get it. Okay. I'm curious what that's like for you, having your wife who is supportive, but also you have a co-founder and partners. What is your journey like with how you flow information, how you flow your pain, how you flow your frustration? Because the battle of a leader is to be eternally optimistic and everything isn't always eternally optimistic. Yeah. How do you manage that? 
uh, in a very unhealthy way. <laughs> what do you, uh, what do you mean? So, <laughs> so I, I, I am not the one to offer advice on that topic. Uh, what do you do? What what do I do? Oh, you don't know what you don't want to know that. Um, no, I'll tell you. So I'll tell you what I mean by that. So it's 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 only half a joke, actually. Uh, I'm only half kidding. Um, I am very bad at, at. So here's an example. I never talk to my wife about work unless ever ever unless it's something that I need to give her a heads up on because it will jo- it will impact us jointly. In some way, like okay. financially, or 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 hey, there's this business trip coming up that I need you to join me on. Got then it. I'll tell her. But otherwise, I I will never ever talk to her about work at all, at all. Okay, at Godfather all. one ending. Never ask me about my affairs. Never ask me about my business, but not in, not because I, obviously I'm out there whacking people, but it's just <laughs> I'm not talking. Uh, I don't talk to anybody about anything. So, so, you know, and it's just part of my personality, yep. right? It's not because I'm trying to um, hold my cars close to my chest or I would love to be able to go home and just talk to my wife about how my day went. Why don't you? I don't know. And that's what I'm saying. It's not healthy. So I'm not suggesting that it's anybody wow. do that because I think it would be very healthy. I think I, think I aspire to do that, but yep. I have some sort of mental block that I don't really talk to anybody about anything unless I absolutely have to, including the closest people in my life, right? So it's, you know, the old idiom of the immigrant mom, you ask her, what does your, your son do? He does computers. That's, <laughs> if you ask anybody in my life what I do, they have no idea, like yeah, yeah, zero yeah. idea what I actually do because yeah. I don't talk to anybody about it, yeah. right? But that hasn't held me back from being vulnerable because in my, in my life, I had in my corporate life, very good mentors and coaches that taught me that if you are not vulnerable, nobody is, is you will never be a leader and no one's ever going to follow you if they don't see that vulnerability in you. Right. And so we've built a great little team in my business. Um, There's a lot of transparency. There's a lot of hierarchy. You introduced me as a CEO I'm not a CEO, not because I'm I'm not one day to day, because I don't like that title. I yeah. don't like people calling me a CEO, so I haven't given myself that title, right. right? And so we're trying to create that culture of vulnerability, transparency. We talk about what's going on in the business, good or bad, yep. and and people appreciate that. So I've learned that. I've learned how important that is, but I don't exercise that in my private life. That is interesting for me to hear. I identify with it probably more than I thought I would. Because you're right. Nobody, I always say that this is my personal manifesto. The secret from uh, where you are and where you want to get, there's two things that you have to master. One is you have to have a huge view of yourself. If you see yourself as large, you're already on your way there. But the second part is how you sell it to people. If you can't sell anyone else that you're as big as you think you are, game over. Yeah. Because it takes people to help you get there. Yeah. Right. For Caesar to be Caesar, people have to elect him. Yeah. For the king to be the king, there needs to be some. You got to sell it to. You have to yeah. sell people. Yeah. Hey, it helps you if you let me get over. Yeah. Like wrestling. So if you if you can't sell it, no way. And if you don't see it, no way. So two very huge things. Yeah. When selling your story to people, you got to be vulnerable. You have to. Yeah. That's the vision. That's the joy. But again, I, I go back. This is just. It could be my own personal view of how to be an operator. You can find any person across the street to find problems. 
which is helpful. It's always good to have a red team, but leading requires optimism. Yeah. It requires, and it requires optimism, uh, uh, almost thinking on your feet. Yeah. Immediate optimism. Yeah. But then what do you do with that? Because let's say you're with your team. Hey, don't worry about it. You know, you digest something, a big blow, huge body blow, haymaker of a thing. Didn't see it coming. It's happened to me a couple of times. Tuesday, all right, well, this sucks, but you got, don't worry about it. We're going to chew it with granite. We're going to spit it out. We're going to survive. Yeah. Okay. Team is good now. Team is going to go execute. You've done your job. Yeah. You're now back in your office. Yeah. What do you do? With the reality, because you you sold it, you did your job to your team. But what do you do with the real emotions that you're feeling? I bottle them up real tight, <laughs> and I hope they don't come off in the wrong spot. Um, I don't know. I haven't given myself the permission to uh, pause and have those moments of reflection yet, because I've, okay. and I'm not saying this is right, yeah. and I'm not making excuses but I've just been too busy running. It feels like yeah. if just too busy running and I feel like the time will come for that reflection. There'll be a trigger point for it yeah. um, without me having to sign up for a yoga treat, retreat yeah, and yeah, force yeah. it in yeah. a contrived way. Yep. A trigger will come where that reflection will happen. And unfortunately for me, I feel like it's going to be a tragic trigger, right? The you loss so? of somebody, one of those things that causes you to be like, all right, fuck it. I just got to take a step back and think about stuff. Yeah. Now, right. Um, but it hasn't right now. And I couldn't agree with anything that you said because it does take a lot of energy to be eternally positive, to be able to sell a story but not sell it in a way that's fake because you actually do believe in it, right? And to fake it till you make it. All those things take a tremendous amount of energy. So that's where I focus my energy. I don't focus my energy on um, the self-care and self-reflection. Wow. and. That's, like I said, I recognize that's not a good thing. And that's probably something that I need to work on on a go-forward basis. So that's probably sort of an area of opportunity for me. But I feel like so far, at least, it hasn't been, you know, the bottle up thing. Um, I was somewhat kidding about that because I don't feel like that, right? Like, I don't feel like I'm an emotional wreck waiting to explode. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I've been able to deal with it as I have. Well, it's because you're task-oriented, right? So you're able to, you're compartmentalizing it, but it is somewhere. It is somewhere. It's absolutely somewhere. But I also think there is for all of us as humans, because you, you know, that question, the way you frame that question was within a business context, sure. right? Yeah. But the reality is when you start peeling that onion back, it's not going to stop a business. There's so much else that's going on inside yeah. you that, that all these thoughts connect that yeah. um, you don't know where that's going to take you, mm -hmm. right? And so it, it, it's, it, it really is sort of a, a part of all ourselves, I think, to kind of, Take that time. And that's what I think, like, you know, we've got a couple of um, younger people mm -hmm. in the shop and I come across young people all the time. And I think that's where maybe as a function of the way they've been raised or whatever, I admire the way they think about um, mental health and self-care and the balance that they want to have okay. in their life, right? Because I feel like I'm in some ways the last of that generation of you got to get in the office first and leave last. And yep. that's the way you succeed. Yep. Uh, my, you know, the kids today don't have that mindset and arguably that's, that's a healthier mindset. Arguably. Yeah. Arguably. <laughs> I'll go, I'll go arguably. With arguably. Yeah. I mean, something that we have, something that we work with that I thought worked good. I tell everybody it's baseball. So I don't, we don't, we don't have a clock. I don't check for people when they check in. Yeah. I don't check for people when they check out. Yeah. But here's what I do say. And I tell everybody to a man, it's baseball. There will be long stretches of time where I don't need you. 
Yeah. The ball is not coming in your direction. Yeah. But when I need you, I better see the most athletic play I've ever seen. Yeah. Like playing shortstop. Yeah. And I can't control how many times the ball is going to come to you, whether it's going to be a lot in a week, not a lot in a week, but just understand that over the course of the year, it's going to balance itself out. Yeah. But we never have work-life balance conversations. If only because I just say generally, I don't need your work-life balance. I don't need you checked in and then checked out. I just need you on when I need you on. Yeah. That could now with respect, we try not to make it too late in the day or too early in the day, but I've seen where people have been responding to that. It's task-based. And when you get the ball, I need you, you know? Um, But in terms of that leadership component, that's not the execution of tasks. That is casting vision in spite of, right? That is um, making a plan to go after something, going after a a business partner, acquiring additional investors. At the end of the day, you outlay your budget to your staff and they're excited about the budget. Yeah. You do the work of making sure the budget is yeah. the budget. That's, you know, so it's interesting for me to, to see that. I mean, it, it is, I'm so, I'm actually surprised. You've, you've actually caught me off guard. Cause I assumed, at least for myself, I assumed that the family would have been that respite, that exhaust. Now, I, don't get me wrong. I do believe in the, this is, wow, I'm going to get canceled for this. I do believe in the traditional sense that if I was married, I wouldn't tell my, wow, okay, hold on. If I was married, I wouldn't tell my wife if we were having money trouble, but I'd tell her if we were having money problems. Yeah. Right? So if I'm going to make it, I'm not going to tell you. Yeah. If we're not going to make it, then I got to tell you because we're not going to make it. Something is about to change. Right. But if we're going to make it and I'm at zero, but we made it, I wouldn't say anything. Yeah. From a monetary home life perspective. But I've never met a partner. I mean, I'm, I'm not married. I got pretty close ones. I've never met a partner who didn't want to really know what I did. Like, they've all been like, I don't know if that's a modern woman thing or a new age woman thing. I don't know if you're white. But they've always been like, well, what do you, like, I really want to know. I want to be here for you. I want to, did you have a good day? Did you have a bad day? And not just the esoteric, yes, good, no bad, but like the details of, well, why was the day bad? Tell me about the the thing and the, th- yeah. And I just assumed that, uh, I, just, I don't know why. I just assumed that marriage was the relief of that. It, but I guess it's not. And Well, no, and I'm sure it is for a lot of people. But what I'm saying is I found the right girl for me yeah. because I know you have to know yourself to be successfully married, yes. right? Because you have to know yourself and you have to know who's going to make a good partner for you. Right. And I found the person that was the right partner for me. And let's be clear, my wife is not a shy Stand by her man type of woman. She's a professional. She's a uh, she's all she's also a carpenter. That's not her job, but she's also a carpenter. Yeah. And she's um, something needs uh, fixing around the house. She's the one that does it. So she wow. she's she's the boss from that perspective. So she's not like a like a shy demure person by any means, but. She also is secure enough to feel like when you got to tell me something, you'll tell me. I don't need to bust your chops about it. Everywhere. Wow. Huh. You said uh, Portuguese. No, <laughs> <laughs> So if you're sequencing out your business uh, and the visions that you have, we're talking about sequencing, we're talking about entrepreneurship, we're talking about resilience, we're talking about the immigrant's journey, we're talking about new age, old age. We've talked about a lot of different things, but bringing it right back down to business and your visions as an entrepreneur for going five, 10 years into the future, yeah. Uh, where do you see yourself as an operator? I won't even just say the business, yourself as an operator and, you know, just connecting it to your daughters, where do you see society and how you feel your children will interact with that space five, 10 years into the future? Okay, yeah, I think from a, from a business perspective, it's, just, it's interesting. I met somebody recently 
who whose title was and, and very successful individual. Um, their title was chief vision officer. And I uh-huh. thought, wow, that's that's a pretty cool title. I've never seen that one before, and it it, it kind of tele- telegraphs into the world a lot about you and what you're trying to achieve. And I've been I've been in charge of you know, setting strategies and steering ships my entire career, but I've never been somebody to stand up in front of a room and say, I've got a vision and okay. this is my vision, right? Um, uh, I've not, not, not because I don't, but I think it just, to me, I put it more, I put things more in practical terms. Yeah. And it's like, when you take the next step, then think about the next step. When yeah. you take the step after that, then take that step. And I'm, I'm not suggesting that's the right way to do things. It's yeah. just my MO in terms of how I operate. So, I've been, you know, very fortunate in my relatively short entrepreneur journey where I've had, it's, it's, it's kind of like uh, the tush push in football, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're the tip of the spear and then you got a lot of people behind mm-hmm. you that are pushing you. So I've been fortunate in that the investors we've had in the business have been really great supportive people that are stacked behind you that are helping push you forward, mm-hmm. right? As a person who's the operator in the business. And so my first task is, making sure those people are rewarded for the trust that they've put mm-hmm. in me and into the team. That's the first thing I want to achieve. Um, then beyond that, I think when we look at it, look at it more, more holistically going forward, you know, I appreciate, you know, you always need to be humble and mm-hmm. you don't have to be, but it helps to be humble mm-hmm. in life and have a, have a different perspective, have a balanced perspective of where you are. So, you know, even if the business, uh, is a resounding success, which it's on its way being, and I, and, I, and I hope it will be. I don't consider myself to be successful because the way I take myself down a peg is to say, all I've done is I've turned, I've, I've made the pivot from being sweat equity to being a capitalist now, mm-hmm. where I now have my little capital mm-hmm. pot that mm-hmm. I can invest in something else. And when I've done that successfully once or twice, now I'm an investor, mm-hmm. right? And, mm-hmm. and, and once I've done that, now I've got maybe the experience and the wisdom to be a director on a board and actually have something to contribute beyond the operational because I'm an operator mm-hmm. now, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think to me, it's just this never-ending journey of learning and maybe to connect the thoughts to um, your question about kids. I would hope to pass that on to the kids as well. It sounds cliche, but it's like, you're never going to stop learning. Mm-hmm. And so just be, just have humility about where you are and don't let people get in, into your head and don't drink your own Kool-Aid because you're mm-hmm. never going to stop learning, mm-hmm. particularly, you know, in your professional life or in your personal life. That makes sense. I think those are wise words. Maz, this has been fantastic. You wouldn't believe it. We already made it to the end. Uh, is there anything that you want to plug or promote before we uh, let you go today? You know what? I'm an insurance nerd and I don't think I want to bore anybody that's listening with insurance stuff, but look me up on LinkedIn. If you want to connect, please do. I'm always happy to make new connections and grow the network. Wonderful. Thank you guys so much. This has been another episode of Unlinear. Uh, If you like content like this, please like, comment, and subscribe. If you want to see more, uh, I'm sure there'll be clicks all over the place for you to see more. And we'll catch you next time uh, on Unlinear.